Let's turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4 this week, James chapter 4. <clears throat> so, I decided to wear this shirt last night uh, for last night's service. And, uh, you know, my cold is mostly gone, but I still have this cough in the the weather and the allergies and the smoke and everything that's in the air have just been crazy. So I cough every day. So the last thing I want to do is cough up here. So these Jolly Ranchers, they're working. So I'm out of them last night. And, and I, I'm thinking I'll just go to the Walmart right here before service and stock up on the Jolly Ranchers. And so I get out of my car and I'm, I'm walking in the parking lot. I'm, I'm probably about 20 yards from the door and a, and a young lady comes walking by with a clipboard and I'm thinking, oh, I'm in a little bit of a hurry. She's probably going to ask me, you know, sign something or a petition. And <clears throat> she just said, how's your day going? And I said, great, how's yours? And she said, better now that I saw that shirt you're wearing. So I walk a, literally three seconds later. I'm just about to go into the door and, and a worker from Walmart's coming into the door and he's like, Man, that's an awesome shirt. And, and I said, it, it must be. I mean, it's the second compliment I've had since my car into the door. And uh, so, so he was like, man, it must be great living your life. And, and, and so I'm walking into Walmart just going, yeah, I picked the right shirt for this weekend. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to wear it all weekend long, not just tonight. And the thought did occur to me that if a shirt can brighten someone's day, how much more life given to God, the love of God. A life that shines His love. You know, this, this shirt can only brighten someone's day for so long. <laughs> Nothing lasting there. We have within us a light that shines and brightens someone's life for eternity right? For eternity. So how'd we do? How'd we do? How'd the fallout from James chapter 3 go with the tongue? Did you have a, a week filled with the Lord's control of your heart so that your, your tongue would say the right things? Did you have to bite it every once in a while, maybe, because of the word? Were we pure and peaceable and gentle and willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. You know, so many times the, the issues that we have with these sorts of things come from a life that's not totally submitted to the Lord, totally. And so we might have changed for a little while. Maybe I got through Wednesday. But long-lasting change, long-lasting change Eternal change is what, is what the Lord wants. And each of us, as Christians, we have to ask ourselves this sooner or later. Do we really want unconditionally to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus in our lives? Unconditional surrender. It's 100%. It's everything that I am, everything that I think, everything that I do. All that it, it, my life is made up of, Lord, you bought it. You bought it with a price. First Corinthians 6, Paul says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? 
for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And I believe if you're a Christian and, and you know the love of God and you know forgiveness, that, that we all want that. There's, there's something in there where, where God, is, God, God is challenging us in that, and, 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 and hopefully that, that is our desire, a life controlled by the Lord, blessed by him, used by him, but we have this, this enemy called the flesh. This enemy called the flesh, this old nature, this old desire that gets in the way. And I, I believe that we can underestimate the power of habit, the power of bad habit, the power of unwise habit. From last week, James 3 and 18, James said, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He says, it takes time. You have to throw out the seeds of peace. You have, to, you have to throw out the seeds of wisdom. Jesus said, whatever a man sows, that will he reap. It takes time to till the ground, maybe to pull up some weeds that we had in there, to get our bag of wisdom and start throwing it out and waiting for it to come full grown and, and reap the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of peace. I mean, some of us, you know, we've trained our flesh in certain ways for years and years and years. And so don't get discouraged because it may take a while. But have faith in that process that if God is changing your heart and you indeed are attempting and struggling to walk in that wisdom, to walk in the power of God, that, that your true faith, as we learned from week one, will have works that follows. And those works will bring change, and that change will begin to reap great rewards in your life. It's easy, sounds easy, but many times it's hard. Many times it's difficult to give our lives fully over to the Lord. So James continues his instruction in righteousness in chapter 4. And the, the four points that we have today, point number one would be faith is a friend to God, verses one through six. Faith is a friend to God. Secondly, faith, is, faith in Jesus is humble, seven through ten. Thirdly, faith judges right. Faith judges right, 11 and 12. And then 13 through 17, faith seeks the will of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love and your, and your mercy. We thank you for your word that continues to, Lord, refine us, instruct us. And Lord, give us just exactly what we need. Lord, if we will be faithful to, to have ears. Lord, so open our hearts and minds to your word and, and, and indeed your instruction in righteousness today that we might be open to it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James chapter 1, James chapter 4, verse 1. Before we get started, I'm going to drink some water. So, about the third service, it catches up to me. So, Jolly Rancher, Lord, please help my voice. Where do the wars and fights come from among you, he says. That's his question. Where do the wars and fights come from among you? And now, here's his answer. 
Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? And I believe James here is continuing a thought from chapter 3 from last week, 14 through 16. Remember, he said, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, is sensual, and it's demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. Wars, fights in my life. He says, confusion, every evil thing. He writes, it comes from inside. There's, there's something in there where there's this war going on. Now, now, Paul talked about this war, and he wrote about it in Galatians and in Romans. In Galatians 5 and 17, he said, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, or fighting with each other. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And in Romans, he describes it like this. Romans 7 and 22, it says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. According to the inward man, the man that God has saved, the man has God, that God has redeemed, I want to do what God wants me to do. That's a fact. He says, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members, in my flesh, the Flesh versus the spirit. The old man versus the new man. Now, many times I've often wondered, Lord, just take the old man. I don't need the old man. Don't want the old man any longer, right? And yet it is God's sovereign will that as long as we are here and, and our eternal souls are safe, that we submit to him. And that he begins that work and that we, we submit every day, day in and day out. And that transformation hopefully is taking place. In verse 2 of chapter 4, James says, You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot attain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. James says we ask with the wrong motive, and so we're not receiving. You see, prayer should never be me dictating to God. It should never be me dictating to God what is best or what I want exclusively or that selfish prayer. But prayer should be an alignment of my will with the Lord's. Now, sometimes that, take, sometimes that takes prayer itself. Lord, help me be aligned with, with your spirit. Help me be open to all that you have for me. James makes the point that indeed our, our prayers can be selfish. And that instead we should be praying, oh Lord, your will be done. You see, because every time I walk in my will, in my selfishness, what does it normally lead to? In some arena of life, a war or a fight or a conflict. Because you see, I'm pitting my way against what the Lord would have for me. And so often that doesn't, that doesn't work out with, with other relationships. In verse 4, he says, 
adulterers and adulteresses. Now, hang on, James. Wait just a second. How do we get from selfishness to adultery? We're getting pretty serious here, and we're not even out of point one. James here is talking about a spiritual adultery, a walking away from God, a turning our back, turning our back on the things of the Lord. The nation of Israel did this, and God describes just exactly how he felt about it in Ezekiel 6. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. He said, Then those of you who escape, because God had brought judgment on the nation of Israel because of their wandering, because of their sin, because of their going after false gods, he said, Those of you who escape, in other words, with your life, you live through this, you will remember me among the nations where they carry you captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me. He says, and by their eyes, which play the harlot after idols. God said, I was crushed. I was crushed. You see, I called you my people. I brought you out of Egypt. I watched you in your wilderness wanderings. I brought you into the promised land. I made you a great nation. You were mine. And yet as a groom that was left at the altar, you left me. You turned your back on me. And indeed, spiritual adultery is a heart that's walked away from God. Verse 4 again. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hatred with God. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll either hate one, love the other. He says, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, the proud heart, it won't see my grace. He says, pride can get in the way of you receiving my grace, but if you're humble, then you'll receive my grace. Now, the Greek word for friend here, friendship with the world, carries the meaning of great fondness, a great affection and James says you can't be a friend, you can't have this affection or this fondness for the world and be the friend of God. See, God is jealous for us, jealous in a good way. Jealous as a mother is for her son to protect her. Jealous as a father is for her, his daughter to protect her. Against anything that would come against them, including themselves. You see, if you have a child that walks away, your heart, you know, just hurts for them, yearns for them, is jealous to have them, to have them back walking in a better life if they've walked into the things of this world. God was jealous of Israel. You see, they, they did make up false gods and they took gods from the nations and the peoples around them, the gods 
God's of rain, God's of fertility, God of harvest, God of protection and war. They turned to them and began to actually raise idols to them and worship them where they were only supposed to be worshiping God. I believe that our greatest challenge today is worshiping the God of self. The God of self that has several other mini-gods along with it. The God of wealth, the God of beauty, the God of status, the God of my rights, the God of my pleasure, the God of my success. See, faith is not fond of these things. Faith does not take affection to those things. But faith is fond of the things of the Lord. Faith has an affection toward God. God, I don't want to leave your side. God, I I want to stay in your grace and in your mercy and in your love, and I want to stay in your will. You see, that's faith. It's fond of and that recognizes and that just has a great affection for not only the fact that God has saved me from here to eternity, but he has a plan for my life. And when I get to operate the way that he has called me to operate, oh, that's what I want to have an affection for. See, I want, I want to be that, that friend of God. Now, God it still remains king and creator and Lord and master. But you see, what he did on the cross allows he and I, he and you, to be a friend. He said to his disciples as they had followed him and begun to respond to the Father's will, he said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends because you've done the will of my Father. You have a great affection for the things that God wants you to do, and you have great faith, and, and so you're my friend, and I'm your friend. Faith indeed, is a friend to God. Secondly, our second point, faith is humble. Faith in Jesus is humble. In verse 7, he says, therefore, in other words, because we can walk away, because we can follow after worldly things, because we can be me-centered and have a me-centered life, because I can be focused on me, myself, and I, he says, "Here's, here's a solution. Here's something now that you should pay great attention to. He says, here is how faith defeats this flesh. Verse 7, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, you, you can mark promise and circle it in your Bible. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He says it's just, just a matter of fact. Just a matter of fact. Oh, and there, there's a lot of meaning behind that, submitting to God and to resisting the devil. Sub- submission or surrender, giving total control of my life to God, surrendering to God and giving over to him is indeed faith. It's great faith. It shows great faith. And you see, that's why many people cannot come to God and will not come to God because they will not give up their own will. They will not give up the things that they inherently know God's probably going to ask them to give up. See, they don't want to yield that total surrender to the Lord. And anything else is just faith in self, faith in me, faith in some other system of man, a false faith. See, faith is 
that if God wants me to do it, then it's good and, I, and I'm all in. I just take that by faith. If God wants me to do it, and if he has me doing it, then, then it's good. It's, it's, it's his good thing for me, and, and I am all 100% in. And just the opposite, if God doesn't want me to do it, if God doesn't want me taking part in that, then, then it's not good for me, and I won't. That's what complete surrender looks like. That's what a complete prayer looks like. Submission, total surrender. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul talks about this. Uh, Eric just went over it in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul describes resisting like this or standing against the devil. He says, finally, my, my brethren, Ephesians 6 and 10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against or resist the wiles of the devil. And the armor of God is truth and righteousness and peace and faith. The Bible, the word of God, salvation, it's prayer. He says, prepare to resist when the enemy comes to attack you. When your flesh gets going, prepare in this way. No truth, no God's truth, no righteousness, know what it looks like. God, what does it mean to be righteous right now in this situation? No peace. No peace. Seeking peace in, in all situations. He says, have, have a great faith. Have a great faith. He says, know the word. Be in the word. You see, don't just simply pick up your Bible to come to church. And then you don't have enough, more, any more relationship than that. Don't just pick up a Bible when you come through the doors and then you don't have a relationship after that for the whole rest of the week. Don't let that be your Christian walk. It will not serve you well. It will not get to do in your life what God wrote it for. And that is to change you, to mold you, to shape you, to remind you, to encourage you in all that God has for you. It's his letter to us. Says, prepare to fight in this way. Put up that fight. Say no. Turn around. And yes, sometimes just close your mouth and smile when you need to. Sometimes that's the beginning of the fight. Oh, the secondary, the secondary fight is, Lord, change my heart that, that causes me to even want to say those things that I have to bite my tongue. You see, change me completely. But for now, if you have to bite your tongue, bite your tongue. Verse 8, second, second promise of Scripture. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What a promise. You know, if a little child, a toddler, many of them... Sometimes we'll, we'll go up to just about anybody and fr be friendly, but some of them also are very fearful. And should you go up to say hi or, you know, and they don't know you, what's the first thing they do? So they run to mom, run to dad. You see a, a young toddler like that, anything that, fear, that they fear, anything that they fear, anything that they fear, who are they looking for? Where's mom? Where's dad? 
Because you see, that's all they know as protection. They instinctively know they're in trouble. There's, there's some fear here. There's something going on. Where's mom and dad? Where's mom and dad? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Whatever fear, whatever trouble, whatever circumstance you've got to deal with in your life, whatever it is, don't go to the things of the world. Don't go to the wisdom of the world. Don't go to the wisdom of yourself. First and foremost, draw near to God. Oh, God, I need, I need you now. I need you now more than ever. That habit of drawing near to God. And it's in the context here of fighting, resisting. You see, and that's when we need it the most. God, I'm scared of what I might do. I'm scared of what might happen. God, I need you. I need you. Knowing that he indeed will be there. He goes on in verse 8. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That's encouraging, James. Let's remember where James has brought us. He's made it clear that we're his brethren. He's made it clear that we're beloved brethren. You see, he loved the body of Christ that he was placed in leadership over. He loved the people that he was writing to. He has earned the right to rebuke. He's earned that right. He's earned that right to rebuke. And, and no rebuke at any given time is easy. Repentance can be hard. Repentance can be hard. But repentance is always good. Repentance is always good. God, God forgive me. You see, James here is describing a repentant soul. A repentant soul. Israel, they did, as they walked away from the Lord, his promise to them in Isaiah was this. Isaiah 1 and 16 says, he says to the children of Israel, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are red like crimson. They will be as wool, as wool. God says, I've got you covered. If you will humble yourself before me, if you will trust in me, then indeed, I've got you covered. Your sins are going to be white as snow. You see, but the first step is us going, yeah, I, I do have sin. I do have some stuff there that still has to be dealt with. And, and God, I, 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 I want you to deal with it. Willing to change. Willing to humble ourselves. He says in verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift them up. You see, Jesus, Jesus humbled himself for us and Paul 
Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2. He said, Jesus, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, Jesus was perfect and sinless. He didn't have to humble himself. Jesus is God. He didn't have to humble himself, and yet he did. You see, we, we humble ourselves as part of a perfecting faith, as part of an acknowledgement to God that he is God and he is great and he is, he is my master and my savior, you see, and, 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 and I do have to come underneath him and submit to him to humble ourselves before the Lord and the promise, he will lift you up. So what are we holding on to? What are we holding on to? Why are we not trusting that humbling process in our lives? What are we holding on to? You see, that process is indeed repentance and tears and letting go and handing over our lives to God. You see, and this is God's promise, and, it, and, and, it's, and, and it's his process, and, and so it's good. But so many times we're just a little bit resistant. Why? Why are we resistant? Not quite sure if I can 100% trust God on this one. Holding something back, you see, and God, God doesn't want that. And God knows that we work best when we don't do that. When we don't hide things from him or hold things back from him. But we submit to him and we, and we allow him to do whatever it is that he needs to do in our hearts and in our minds. Whatever it is that's holding us back, it's not worth feeling that hand, hearing that voice, my son, my daughter, stand up. Stand up. I've seen your humble heart. I've seen what you are and who you are before me and I'm honoring it. Thirdly, faith judges right. Look at verse 11. Faith judges right. <coughs> I'm going to get through. We're on, we're on number three. Three and four, and I'm going to get through. Faith judges right, or faith judges rightly. Verse 11, he says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. In other words, the law was not made for that. The law wasn't made for condemnation. Now, it will condemn a soul if that soul chooses not to do it. It's God's way. But the law was there to correct us, to bring correction and and, and peace and righteousness into the community of, of God and, and, and believers. He says, but if you judge the law, you are, not, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. He says, don't, don't raise yourself above, above the law. Don't, don't make yourself a judge of the law. Don't, don't put yourself above it. Verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy who are you to judge another? This issue of judging, this issue of, hey, don't judge me. The Bible says we shouldn't judge each other, right? Right? 
Paul said this in Galatians 6 and 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass or sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Now, does that process not require some judgment? Some type of judgment. Of course it does. Of course it does. Paul also told the Corinthian church, hey, there's a, there's a man here in your church and he's an unrepentant sin. And for the sake of his soul, you need to put him out of the congregation that, that he might be convicted by God that even if there's a destruction of his flesh, his soul might be saved. He's unrepentant sin. He says, he says put, put, put him out. Now, how could, how could the Corinthian church go through that process without some sort of judgment? Here's how it breaks down. The judgment is this. If we see someone sinning and, and, we, and we want to bring them back to the Lord or, 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 or not to, to face the judgment of that sin, then you see, our heart must be to restore them in gentleness, to go to them, to speak love to them, to reason with them, to, to, perhaps, to perhaps convince them you see, and, and we, won't, we won't convince anyone if we're doing what? And I believe the key here to what James is saying is in verse 11. He says, do not speak evil of one another. You see, we have this tendency, rather than to try to restore and restore in gentleness, to be tail bearers, to be backbiters, to be gossips, to talk about a brother or sister who might be in sin. Oh, sure, they, they may be indeed in sin, and there may need to be correction in their life. See, but many times it goes this way. Hey, saw Jim at the movies the other night. R-rated. Right? Hey, I saw Sheila. She's at happy hour tipping him back pretty good the other day. Did you hear about, Jim, uh, about Ted? Ted, he left his wife left his wife for a much younger woman with four kids. How could Ted do that? How could Ted do that? Now this morning, if your name is Jim or Sheila or Ted, absolutely hypothetical. I promise. But out of the estimated 7.5 billion people on this planet, somewhere, there's a Christian named Jim who has a problem watching things he shouldn't. Somewhere, there's a Christian named Sheila who has a drinking problem. And somewhere, there's a Christian named Ted who perhaps made the biggest mistake of his life. James says, agree with Paul to restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Leave the ultimate judgment of their soul and their sin to God. Don't speak evil of them. Don't speak evil. Proverbs 17.9 says this, he who covers a transgression or a sin seeks 
love. But he who repeats the matter, he separates friends. See, faith judges rightly. So how do, how do we love Jim and Sheila and Ted? You see, we, we seek to cover their sin as much as possible, to protect them, to reason with them, to talk to them in gentleness, not to talk behind their back, not to speak evil of them. That's what James is saying here. And so to not do that is just the opposite of that is, hey, my faith can speak rightly about people. God, give me the faith to speak rightly about people and, and to, to just be quiet when I need to be quiet sometimes. Faith judges right. And lastly, faith seeks the will of God. Faith seeks the will of God. Verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. <clears throat> Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? Is it even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away? James says, don't get out in front of God. Hey, your life's like a vapor. 80 years can be so quickly. can go by so quickly. He says, don't, don't waste any of your time that, you, that, that I, I've given you here on earth in, in, in seeking after your will. Line up your will with me. You see, because I've got the best plan for you. I've got the best will and plan picked out in your life. It vanishes away quickly. Find God's will quickly and be blessed. In verse 15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live. And do this or do that. Do that. Proverbs uh, 16 and 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19 and 21. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Lots going on in my heart and my mind that I want, but the counsel of the Lord, as it pertains to all of those things that you and I have planned for our life, it means more than anything, and it's going to stand. It's going to stand. It's, gonna, it's what's going to matter. Not me, not me fighting to get my way, but me yielding to God and finding out, oh, God, align up my will with yours. Consider the Lord. Consider him in all of your plans. Seek his will. Verse 16 but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I'll describe this verse in this way. Dads, if you had a son, he's 12 years old, and he comes to you and he says, Dad, I'm, I'm getting ready to leave. I've packed up the, the bike and I've got everything I need for my trip and I'm going to be going to Texas because I hear Texas is better than Colorado. So I help myself to that stack of 20s that's in your sock drawer. It should get me by, you know, for a little while. Just wanted to let you know, I'll, I'll give you a call when I get there. Now, if you're that dad, what are you saying? You're saying, now, now, now hang on a little bit, son, here. There, there's a few things you, you, you haven't thought of yet. First off, you're 12. 
Secondly, there's no way Texas is better than Colorado. (laughs) You see, that 12-year-old is speaking presumptuously and naively and foolishly. The Bible says we're God's children. Jesus said, if you don't come to the kingdom of God as a small child, you can't enter it. We're his kids. James says, don't be presumptuous. Don't go planning things without without the Lord. It might bring some foolishness in your life. It might take you down some roads that are dead ends. Don't do that. Check, Check everything, small and little, with the Lord. He cares about it. If he remembers every tear and knows every hair, on your head. He cares about that decision that you've got to make. Did you check it with him twice? Verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It says to know good. The Bible talks about doing good all the, all the time that we should be doing good. See, and I would submit to you that doing good is God's will. In other words, if we spend the time figuring out God's will, even throughout the day, God, what should I do right now? God, settle my heart and my mind before you. You see, then we're, we're going to be doing good and good things. It says if you know what to, what's good to do and you don't do it, it's sin. It's sin. I don't, I don't want you walking that way. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who, what, does the will of my Father in heaven. Does the will of my Father in heaven. As Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because you do the will of my Father. You've spent time. You've spent time before God. You've spent time inventorying your life, giving your life to the Lord, saying, God, I want so much more than just salvation. Salvation is incredible, and I lean on it every day. But I want to do something with my life for you that will make a difference in my family for eternity, in my friends for eternity, and for every person that I meet walking into Walmart for eternity. Perhaps a life lived this way is just exactly what God is asking Rocky Mountain Calvary to be. This morning as we prepare for communion, the ushers are preparing some tables in the back and you'll see the tables up front. As faith is a friend to God and faith in Jesus is humble and faith judges rightly and faith seeks the will of God as we take of the bread and remember his body that was shed for us, he paid the price. (coughs) As we take the cup and remember that his blood was shed, allow him to have communion with you and your soul and to work on whatever it is in our lives that we need to release to him today to become fully 
submitted. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then communion is an empty act. But what isn't an empty act is if God's been calling you and showing you that indeed he died on the cross for your sins and you need to believe on him for salvation. then chances are this isn't the first time you've heard it. And what isn't an empty act is that you come forward and talk to a pastor on either side of the stage and we'll introduce you to Jesus Christ this morning. I offer that to you this morning. Christian, if you need prayer, you can come up as well. If you're new this morning, remember, we'd love to meet you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for your word. God, in your promises. Lord, we thank you that in all of our wanderings and our struggles and our warring with the flesh, God, you have our best in mind. And Lord, you have us covered. God, I pray that that now you'd be glorified in our time of communion with you in remembering and declaring your death and your resurrection. Lord, your sacrifice for us. God, be glorified in our worship. Lord, give us the strength to walk in all of the things that your word has encouraged us in today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.